Sponsor StrongDM is secure infrastructure access for the modern stack. StrongDM proxies connections between your infrastructure and sysadmins, giving your IT team auditable, policy-driven, IAC-configurable access to whatever they need, wherever they are. Find out more at strongdm.com slash packetpushers. Welcome to Day 2 Cloud. Today, we're going to be talking about an Azure thing called Azure Bicep, which is a replacement for ARM templates. You get it? ARM, Bicep, that's kind of what we're talking about. But we have brought on two experts in Azure Bicep to guide us through this. We have Ben Weissman, a return guest, and Rob Sewell, a new guest, and they are going to tell us all about this crazy thing called Azure Bicep. Ethan, what jumped out to you in the conversation? It's another in the chapter of infrastructure as code. And uh, and one of the points that comes up actually earlier in the episode that stuck out to me was I've been getting mired down, Ned, and this whole IAC thing with like, you got to have a pipeline and all this crazy stuff. And maybe actually you don't. You can start simpler. And, uh, and Bicep would be one of the ways to start simpler with infrastructure as code. Yeah, it really does simplify, which if anybody out there has worked with ARM templates, you know how verbose they are at Bicep makes it easier and easier to get started. So if that's of interest to you, please listen in to Ben Weissman, a data passionist from Solacion, and Rob Sewell, a beard twizzler from Sewell's Consulting. Well, Ben and Rob, welcome to Day 2 Cloud. I'm very excited to have both of you here. Ben, you are a returning guest. And for folks who haven't listened yet to your previous episode, which they should, they absolutely should, but if they haven't, definitely, can you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? It's a very philosophical question again. Um, I'm not going to answer it again with uh, who are we and why are we here, because <laughs> last time that took three hours that you all had to edit out, so um, why do all that again? I'm a data passionist for Silicon in Nuremberg, Germany. So now you may be wondering, what does that even mean? Yes. I have no idea, but I think it sounds pretty cool. Uh, <laughs> it means I love all things data. I've been working with data for the last 25-ish years. Basically, all my professional life has evolved around data in some way, but also I am passionate about data. So I love talking about data at events. I love talking about data in blog posts or videos or whatever. I think data is a pretty cool and pretty powerful thing. So whenever there's... I'm mainly from the Microsoft field, um, to be honest. So whenever there's coming out anything coming out there, um, even if I don't see an actual use case for it, or even if I don't have an actual customer, I'm like, hey, he's been waiting for exactly this. I try to get my hands on that and just see what new cool things we can do with new data. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes the marketing materials don't do an offering justice, or they don't actually know what it can do. So it's always good to poke around a little bit. Now, Rob Sewell, you are new to the Day2 Cloud group. And your Twitter handle is SQL DBA with Beard. And your title at Sewell's Consulting is Beard Twirler. So for those who are not watching the video, can you tell us you're clean shaven, right? Like, there's no beard there. <laughs> to totally, totally. There's, you know, there's, uh, there's nothing hirsute about me at all. <laughs> now, did, you, did you grow the beard for the COVIDs or is this something that you've had for a while? Oh no! This is this has been a a fixture on my fizzog for uh, twenty or thirty years. Okay, so you're before the the trend got popular. You're yeah, you're a trendsetter. One might say. Aside well, you know, in the beard, 
in the beard world, perhaps, yes. Now, aside <laughs> from growing an epic beard, uh, what would you say you do for Sewell's Consulting? Um, it's really hard because what I do is help people deploy stuff. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, I, I, and, I, and I come from being an ex-production SQL DBA. So the one that went, no, no, you can't have the SA password. Uh, no, that's not what we'll do. No, your queries may not have no log. All of these things, that's what I did. And then gradually from looking after, you know, many tens of thousands of databases and instances uh, in defense and then for, for private companies, I kind of morphed into somebody who who does Azure DevOps and infrastructure deployments, but mainly in the data world. So all the cool stuff that Ben does with his newfangled data, I like to be the one that builds that and makes sure that they've got a test environment and a dev environment and production is the same. Gotcha. Okay. Makes sense. Now, I know that the topic for today's podcast is Azure Bicep, uh, which is infrastructure as code or a type of it. Uh, but maybe we can start with just what your views are on deploying infrastructure in general. And, and Ben, I'll hand that off to you first. I mean, deploying stuff, um, no matter if it's data related or not, that's kind of the beauty of the cloud. And it's also kind of one of the biggest issues in the cloud. You can just easily go ahead. Um, a little clicky, clicky, draggy, droppy, um, and deploy all kinds of stuff without really thinking it through. So, hey, I just need a VM real quick. Cool. That's going to take me like um, five minutes these days, um, whereas in previous years or, or decades, it would have taken me days to weeks um, to months because, well, now I don't have to buy any hardware anymore. Now I don't have to talk to Rob's counterparts like the infrastructure administrators anymore and be like, no, you're not going to get that VM. No, you're not going to get that password. You know why you're not getting those fun projects, by the way, Rob, because you're a non-data fun person. If you don't give people the SA password, what is the fun in that? I mean, seriously. <laughs> no, we don't do no lock. Yes, we do, because this is what makes things interesting. It, but it, it'll certainly make your bank account balance interesting if you use no lock. Oh, I've got that. no money. I've got some money. I've got many money. I've got no money. You had me at many money. Um, that, that's where it's gotten interesting for me. But no, it is super easy to deploy stuff. And in the clicky-clicky-dracky cl uh, world, it is super hard to deploy repeatable stuff. That That is kind of my... So, so many times before I discovered the beauty of infrastructure as code, I was like, okay, well, this and this is not working in this Azure VM. And then I found out how to fix it. Um, and then six months later, I had the same issue again in another VM. Well, I'm super smart. So of course, I remembered I had that problem before. I'm not that smart, so I didn't remember how I fixed it the last time. So I basically um, went through all the same Google searches and stuff over and over again. So And find your own blog post. Yes. <laughs> no, because I'm not smart enough to write a blog post about that every single time. Maybe I should. It, it sounds a little narcissistic, but at the same time, it, it might actually be the answer to that problem. Yes. It is. Or, I, I have searched for a problem before and found my own blog post from like two years ago. I'm like, oh, God. Okay. Isn't well, that at least great I wrote and embarrassing down. at the same time. <laughs> I, I I've done exactly the same, and I've actually sort of thought I've I'm sure I've read something about this before. I'm sure somebody's written about this, and then I've I've, I've searched through my notes of 
cool things I've read about. Oh no, I've gone to Google. I go, oh yeah, look, that bloke with a beard, he wrote something about it. Ah. <laughs> so Ben, as you were talking about clicky clicky versus infrastructure as code, okay, infrastructure as code is repeatable, clicky clicky is not. You got to remember what you did. And, and so if you're doing the same sort of infrastructure deployments over and over again, you want to move to infrastructure as code. The downside being you have to figure out how to work with infrastructure as a code. So how do you how do you get over that hurdle? Is it just like jump in and start doing it and it'll come to you kind of thing? Well, deploying something with infrastructure as code will take longer, but it's a good thing. Well, it will t- take longer on the first deployment, not on the repeatable ones. The repeatable ones will be much faster. It will take longer on the first because it's going to ask you for all these settings and all that stuff that you usually don't think about because you just go with the defaults. If you could see Rob's T-shirt right now um, that says don't accept the default, that's basically what, hey, I'm on the Azure portal, I click next, next, next. Yes, you do end up with a VM, but it may not be the smartest thing because, oh, all of a sudden that thing is accessible from all of the internets um, from all over the world. Well, that wasn't super smart, but that's the default. So they probably thought that through. Why would they do it otherwise? So infrastructure as code, besides that huge advantage of me not having to find my non-written blog post six months later, infrastructure as code forces me to think a little bit about what I'm actually trying to do. So in that case, hey, I really just need a VM because I want to try something on a clean machine or it doesn't need to have to be anything special. I may just go to the portal and hit next, 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 because, well, I'm going to delete this machine five minutes later. And I don't care about performance. I don't care about cost and all that because it's really that ephemeral. But if it's something more meaningful, um, it might make sense to spend a little more time thinking about what you actually need rather than taking that portal advantage and just um, hit that next button. It also gets you to some kind of result, but most probably not exactly what you were looking for. I was going to say infrastructure as code doesn't have to be anything more complicated like with with Azure than using um, the Azure PowerShell or AZCLI or in AWS using their their CLI tooling to write a, a few lines of, of code that will do something. Then yeah, that's do... a good point because sometimes we get into these infrastructure as code conversations. It's like, well, you got to have a pipeline and you got to have a bunch of testing and you got to have, you know, and you and, and it build you build this very complex deployment infrastructure to push your you to use your infrastructure as code in the right way, you know, like a dev would with all this stuff. And it seems so overwhelming. But I, I think you've just made a great point, Rob. You can just you can start with something as simple as a basic script. Right. And, and in a way, scripting is infrastructure as code. It's just not declarative. And, and you know, there's definitely some advantages to going the declarative route. Now, Rob, I, we're, we're here to talk about BICEP. And if I, if I understand it correctly, I haven't used it, but if I understand correctly, it is an infrastructure as code tool. Can you give me the 10,000 foot view of where it fits into the infrastructure as code landscape? But Azure BICEP is a DSL, so a domain-specific language, for deploying Azure resources. So what that means is it's a way of creating human-readable files that, when they are applied, are going to create resources for Azure only. Okay, that makes sense. And is it a replacement 
for ARM templates because that's what I've used in in the past. Is you know that's what it spits out when you when you do clicky clicky next. It'll say, hey, do you want a template? And you go, sure. And it send it gives you this ridiculously long JSON thing that is an ARM template. That's what I'm used to. Does it replace that? I don't know what the official Microsoft view is on whether it replaces that. I'll tell you what it does for the beard. And for the beard, it absolutely replaces ARM templates. Since I started doing Bicep and I was lucky to pick to pick up a client who needed Azure infrastructure deployed as Bicep came into, um, into supported preview. Um, and they were like, yes, we will take this. And since that moment in time, the things that I have deployed into Azure have been with Bicep and I have not touched an ARM template. And I am very pleased about that. So Bicep will not take ARM away because Bicep is Bicep is an abstraction of ARM. So if you deploy a Bicep template, what it will do in the background, it will make that very beautiful Bicep template into a very nasty ARM template before actually deploying something. You don't care about any of that because it's all happening transparently in the background, but that most probably means that ARM will never go away. I, I don't uh, never say never, but I wouldn't see the advantage of that because I'm with Rob on that. For me, ARM is basically gone. I don't write any ARM templates. and not that I wrote many ARM templates before that because ARM templates are... How do I put the... Well, I, I'm not going to put it um, because it would have to be redacted anyway, all the words I could say about ARM templates. But <laughs> <laughs> why would I care if Microsoft goes through the way of making my bicep template an ARM template as long as it's happening transparently in the background and I don't have to do any intermediate and manual steps and that's not the case so yeah to your question i don't think arm is going anywhere from a infrastructure and system perspective you can completely forget about it from a user perspective and i guess that's the key part i think the, the important thing is both of them are um, making use of the same um, azure resource manager apis in the background to deploy the resources so it's just two different ways of getting to the same place Right. I, I've been using Azure long enough that I remember the previous uh, thing that was Azure Service Manager. Service Manager, yep. <laughs> yeah, which did not have a, a nice uh, infrastructure as code language, really. And it was very difficult to use if you weren't just scripting or using the portal. So ARM, ARM was a, a great leap forward, but it also meant that it took forever to retire ASM. <laughs> I don't think Microsoft wants to go through that pain again. So what you're saying is Bicep, when you use it, it produces the artifacts it produces is not a deployment up in Azure. It's actually ARM templates that are then used to deploy infrastructure in Azure. Is that is that correct? I have that right in my mind? Technically, yes and no, because so you, you can deploy a Bicep template. And what will happen is um, that Bicep code will be transpiled to standard ARM template JSON in the background but it will immediately deploy. So you can use the Azure CLI or the PowerShell template or Azure DevOps pipelines or uh, pick your poison. Um, anything you could deploy an ARM template with, you could do the same thing with Bicep. So you will end up with that immediate um, resource in Azure. There's just that transparent step in the background that's happening that will always generate that ARM template for you. All right, now I'm going to ask a question. You might not like this. But <laughs> if I'm using an abstraction to deploy stuff on Azure, why wouldn't I just use Terraform, Rob? <laughs> 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 
Oh, you knew it was coming though, right? <laughs> I, I, I know it was coming. And, and um, as you can tell, it's a question that I hear a lot. Um, and look, I've used Terraform. I use Terraform to deploy things in um, Azure. I've used Terraform to deploy things in AWS. It is a fantastic tool for deploying infrastructure. The problem that I most frequently have with Terraform when I'm deploying Azure infrastructure is that unless your organization is so mature that you can turn off the ability to make changes through the portal, which I have, I, I know of a single organization who has done that. If you don't do that, then what happens is somebody goes, hey, Ned, thing is broken. Please, can you fix thing? And you go, sure. And you have a look and you see what is wrong with thing. And you go, I need to change this. Maybe I need to give it more things or add another storage account or whatever it is, you make a change in the portal to thing. And now you've broken your Terraform deployments, because Terraform is using state files to um, understand what it needs to compare against. And I know people are probably shouting that, yeah, there's this, you can do this, and you can import, and you can make sure. And yeah, yeah, absolutely, you can do all of those things, but they are painful. And you will find the edge cases where they don't work. And that will lead you to a place where you have a a Terraform, a set of Terraform to deploy some infrastructure that you cannot deploy onto your infrastructure because we can't do the comparison between what actually exists and what happens in the state file. And for me, this is the biggest, most beautiful thing about Bicep in that Bicep will, still does the comparison, but the comparison that it does is against what exists. So it's literally going, hey, resource group, what have you got? Oh, you've got all of these things. Okay. And hey, code, what have you got? Ah, oh, you've got all of these things. Right. I'm going to make what is there the same as what the code says it wants. And it'll go and do it. And hopefully it tells you what it's going to do before it does that thing. <laughs> of course, you, you, can, you can use the what if switch if you're using PowerShell to do your deployments, and then you can see. So in the same way as with a, um, a Terraform, you would do a plan, you know, hey, Terraform, if I run this code, what will you do? Terraform will say, hey, well, I'm going to do this. And that will work if you've, if Ned's changed the resource group and added more storage accounts or whatever he's done. It's only at the apply that it would fall over. Right. Okay. And okay. I, I mean, I... Fair criticism of some of the shortcomings of Terraform. I've certainly bumped my head on them once or twice. So I, I completely understand where you're coming from. But it's it's important to ask the question. And in Terraform's defense, um, I mean, Rob already said it, but Bicep is Azure only. So one of the advantages of Terraform, besides um, the downsides of Terraform, um, and I mean, we could go on. There's more downsides than just state files. But... If you're running a true multi-cloud operation, you say, "Hey, I want, when I, have, I want to do infrastructure as code, but I want to use it with, do it with one tool." You could not use Bicep because Bicep is Azure only, and I don't think it will ever change because, again, Bicep is an abstraction 
of ARM and ARM is Azure only. And again, don't think um, we're going to see changes to that. Okay. Uh, so Ben, since since we're still talking about bicep and and uh, I, I I understand it from a conceptual level, but can you walk me through an actual workflow? Like what does it look like to write bicep code? And then what's the actual process by which I turn that bicep code into a deployment? So it, it kind of depends if you're st really starting something from scratch or if you're trying to build upon something that you've already built before. Because what you can do is you can turn any ARM template or any existing Azure resource into a BICEP file. So in many cases, that might be a good start. Either way, BICEP has a very beautiful, amazing VS Code extension. And that VS Code extension comes with two things. One thing is full IntelliSense. And basically, all you need to know is, hey, there's stuff like parameters, variables, and resources. There's a little more, but um, if you know these three things, you're basically good to go. Because then you can just say, okay, I want to write a BICEP file that's going to um, deploy a resource. So you type resource and you give that resource a name. And the next thing you do is, hey, what kind of resource is that? And then you say, oh, I don't really know what it's called, but I know it's something with SQL Server. And then you just type SQL and then it comes up with, hey, there's a SQL database, there's a SQL managed instance, there's a SQL this, there's a SQL that. So, oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I want a managed instance. And I want to go with the latest API version because I'm not doing anything on that. Because as with ARM templates, you could go with an older API version if you need to deploy something that is no longer supported or that was just different in the past. And then, oh, that super fancy extension will then go ahead and say, hey, you can just go ahead and really type all the properties that you need from scratch. Or how about that? I give you all of the required properties filled in with blanks, but at least you know what I really need for this to work. So there's all these tiny little, little helpers in there. If it gets too complex, what you can do is you can split out your bicep into multiple files, into multiple modules, which also helps with reusing stuff. Mm -hmm. Hey, um, there might be 170,000 instances where I need a network security group. I'm just have a network security group module, and I reuse that in all of my deployments where I'm going to deploy in NSG, no matter if it's for a managed instance, if it's for VMs um, and all of that. And BICEP is more than just a little bit of IntelliSense and all that, but BICEP also, it is a true programming language with limitations of, but there's stuff like loops and all that in there. So you can, you could, and that extension, it helps you so much authoring that. So compared to what it takes to author traditional ARM, <laughs> it is really day and night. And it helps you so much to get there on the error message that you get are way easier to read, at least for me. So you either take an existing ARM template or an existing resource and turn that into a BICEP file or you restart from scratch, depending on um, what you're doing. You could use Notepad or Vim or whatever um, you want to code. It doesn't matter because in the end you need that BICEP file, which looks a bit like JSON, but it's not, by the way, one of the nice things, an ARM template that's like this. And since people only hear me, I'm basically stretching my arms as wide as I can to become this. Again, you don't see me, but I was basically showing people how I turned 50 lines into three or something like that, because it's so much more condensed, so much more stuff that you can leave out. If you, There's so much stuff that has to be in an ARM template that Bicep does not need by default. So it, it's cleaner, it's easier to author. 
And then you just deploy it the same way you would deploy an ARM template using the Azure CLI, using PowerShell. You use the same command. The only difference is instead of saying something, something ARM.json, you say something, something dot bicep. Okay. And that's, that's the marker. So it knows it's a bicep file as opposed to Correct. an ARM template. Gotcha. Okay. And uh, to get back to the modules thing, which I think is, that's a super important part of infrastructure as code is building out this library of modules. Is there an existing library of modules that I can pick from? Is there like a registry or just a collection on GitHub? You can go and grab a bunch of uh, bicep building blocks to put together your template. There's a, there's a bunch of samples out there, but there's not like a proper registry. Then again, I don't know, but no, no, but Europe, but I've never felt like I would actually need it because the IntelliSense is so helpful and these extra hints are so helpful as they are that you basically get that registry almost built in. So, so what, what I would say is totally, I agree. The, I mean, the IntelliSense is magical. Um, the bicep playground um, enables you to, in a GUI, do a decompile of an ARM template and compile it into a bicep template. You can do that at the command line as well. But all of the ARM templates that are available on GitHub as um, suggestions, you can go and pull those in the bicep um, playground as a dropdown. And then um, you can pick any of those to give you a good example. But yeah, this, is, this is normally where I, I just go, <clears throat> real world, Real world's hard, and you you absolutely need modules. And why would you need modules? You need modules to ensure that when Ben creates a virtual machine, he doesn't leave an RDP port available to the rest of the world. When he creates a storage account, he makes sure that public access is disabled. And you want to enforce those sort of um, company-wide policies using modules. So you say, Ben, you're allowed to create a storage account and you may use this. This is the module that you will use. It doesn't just make the code easy for you um, because it's dry. Um, it also enables you to enforce your, your naming conventions, your security guidelines and all of those things. Because we, we, we're all going to need to build storage accounts and our company is going to need to ensure that they are all in the correct location because of you know gdpr or other um, requirements that we have as a as an organization or they're going to need to make sure that they are only connectable to these networks or they must always have a private endpoint all of these things that that we know that get written down in in jira or in OneNote or in other documentation we can actually put that into the code and that's a lovely thing I think about infrastructure as code is it's not just the thing that does the deployment. It is also the thing that records what you have deployed. Okay. I'd expand on that a little bit. What do you mean it records what you've already deployed? So in the way that if I have a, a set of code that is going to call some modules to build NED's resource group with three VMs, four storage accounts, and six Azure SQL databases, all set up with private endpoints according to my company policy and named correctly. I will have a record of calling those modules and the values that I've used to, to call them if I choose to do it that way. Okay. So when I come back and I look in my source control and I see that on January the 27th, which is when we're recording this, we deployed this and and it's all recorded there okay 
if I already have some infrastructure deployed and I want to use that as I got it all tweaked, it's exactly the way that I want it. And I want to sort of make that the the golden standard. Can I take that existing deployed infrastructure that's in a resource group maybe and turn that easily into a, a bicep template? Easily? No. <laughs> okay. <laughs> but can you? Yes. As we've said, there's there's ways of decompiling ARM templates into, into bicep um, code. You can do it in a GUI or you can do it on the command line. So you can export the template of the existing resource and then do a conversion. You still want to go and eyeball it. You still want to go and make it named correctly because you'll have those wonderful long names that you get. Uh, <laughs> right. it, it's possible. Yes, I have exported ARM templates before from deployed resources, and you got to do a little cleanup on that because yeah. it it fills in a lot of fields that are a default field you don't normally have to even mention because you know ARM takes care of it for you. We pause the podcast for a couple of minutes to introduce sponsor Strong DM's Secure Infrastructure Access Platform. And if those words are meaningless, Strong DM goes like this. You know how managing servers, network gear, cloud VPCs, databases, and so on, it's this horrifying mix of credentials that you saved in PuTTY and in super secure spreadsheets and SSH keys on thumb drives and that one doc in SharePoint you can never remember where it is? It sucks, right? Strong DM makes all that nasty mess go away. Install the client on your workstation and authenticate. Policy syncs, and you get a list of infrastructure that you can hit. When you fire up a session, the client tunnels to the strong DM gateway, and the gateway is the middleman. You know, it, it's a proxy architecture. So the client hits the gateway, and the gateway hits the stuff you're trying to manage, but it's not just a simple proxy. It is a secure gateway. The StrongDM admin configures the gateway to control what resources users can access. The gateway also observes the connections and logs who is doing what, database queries and kubectl commands, etc. And that should make all the security folks happy. Life with StrongDM means you can reduce the volume of credentials you are tracking. If you're the human managing everyone's infrastructure access, you get better control over the infrastructure management plane. You can simplify firewall policy. You can centrally revoke someone's access to everything they had access to with just a click. StrongDM invites you to 100% doubt this ad and go sign up for a no BS demo. Do that at strongdm.com slash packet pushers. They suggested we say no BS, and if you review their website, that is kind of their whole attitude. They solve a problem you have, and they want you to demo their solution and prove to yourself it will work. Strongdm.com slash packet pushers and join other companies like Peloton, SoFi, Yext, and Chime. Strongdm.com slash packet pushers. And now back to the podcast. Another thing that we've covered before on the show when it comes to infrastructure as code is the idea of scanning the code before it gets deployed for potential security or compliance violations. Is there a tool or something along those lines that works with Bicep to scan through and go to flag things like having RDP open to the world? Not that I am I am aware of. I know that there are some there have been some attempts to um, codify some of the interaction with the bicep api so there are some powershell modules i'm a i'm a powershell dude <laughs> okay. um there's there's some powershell modules um that are involved in that personally i have i have taken a look at a bicep file with powershell and then scanned it to make sure that 
things are correct using PESTA, which is a unit testing framework for PowerShell. But sure. um, I, I love to use it as a uh, an infrastructure testing thing. So you can do things like that. But ARM is only... Uh, ARM, crikey. Bicep. <laughs> <laughs> Bicep's only been in under support for um, less than 12 months. So these sort of additional things that come around the outside are, are, are still in progress, I think, as people start to understand what, what it is that's, that's required. Gotcha. Okay. The other thing that was kind of difficult, not difficult, but it was not intuitive with ARM templates is creating multiples of the same resource. Has that gotten a little bit easier with Bicep, Ben? I mean, you got tons of ways of doing that, but you can even do it right in your Bicep template. So if you say, for example, hey, I'm doing a training tomorrow and I have 30 people joining the training and I want them to have the exact same training. So I need 30 resource groups and all of those 30 resource groups will have the same SQL database and the same VM and stuff and all that. You can define all that and then you either build in a loop into your bicep template or if you're like, yeah, but I'm only getting started with bicep so I want to keep this clean. Then you will just um, loop in PowerShell over that deployment command um, and pass in a parameter through it couple of other ways of doing that but um it, it is super simple and um I, I, that is one of the things i love about it actually that um, you can get those repeatable results not just in a way of yeah okay um at some point i messed up that vm so much that i'm going to deploy a new one but also hey um i need this vm but i don't need it once but i need it um 500 times or 30 times or however many times all of those things that you're used to doing in your ARM templates where you were doing your counts and your braces and making sure everything works, you can do all of that in Bicep. It's just much nicer to read and easier to understand. Okay, <laughs> makes sense. The other thing that I wanted to, to dig into just a little bit would be I've started using Bicep, you know, let's say, and now I want to integrate this into a larger thing. I know we talked about like there's the, this golden idea of the DevOps pipeline and, and deploying your infrastructure as code through that pipeline and everything. Let's say I've started using Bicep. I'm ready to try that. How easily does this integrate into a DevOps pipeline that I might be trying to develop? I'm going with just as easy as an ARM template because um, from, from a pipeline perspective, that's what it is. You can use the exact same tooling for deployment. So um, whatever your pipeline is call, calling, it is doing the exact same thing. My my answer is normally pretty much the same. When when you're talking about which whichever type of deployment tool that you wish to use, if you can do something from the command line, so if you have a Terraform file, if you have a Bicep file, and you can do your deployment or ARM template as well, as soon as you can do that, then putting it into, into Azure DevOps, into Jenkins, into whatever it is tooling that's going to, going to do this is just a case of getting the script and putting it in the right place, giving it the right parameters. Just the same as you, when you type at the command line, you need to make sure that you're connected to the right subscription and you're using the right resource group for your template or whatever. You just need to make sure that in your Azure DevOps pipeline, which I hope you're using YAML and you're keeping it all in code because source control is awesome, even for infrastructure folk. And then you can make sure that you define what it is that you write, and then you've put it into your pipeline, and then you can deploy it as many times as you wish. All right. Now, this may sound like a silly 
a question, but there's no cost to using Bicep. I don't have to pay for a license or anything like that, right? Before Ben answers, um, I'd say it's going to cost you an arm and a leg. (laughs) (laughs) I walked into that. I'm sorry. Uh, (laughs) What were you going to say, Ben? Well, it's free as a puppy is what I'm going. I mean, Bicep is free. Um, The tooling is free. But obviously all the stuff that you deploy is not so... I've seen people um, enjoying the ease of deploying those 30 resource groups. I'm not thinking about um, what's it going to cost them in the end. So then again, that's kind of the issue with automation of any kind, I guess. If you're automating crap, um, you're getting a lot of crap much faster than if you would do it manually. Mm-hmm. But um, it's still going to be crap. In this case, expensive crap potentially. Well, guys, this has been a pretty interesting conversation about a major improvement in the world of Azure ARM templates with the, with this bicep thing. For folks that are interested in knowing more, let's go through a few key takeaways and then where they can go to learn more about bicep. Uh, ben, why don't you start us off with a few key takeaways? Sure. I would say bicep is everything that ARM is, but it's also everything that ARM is not. So it's at full feature parity with ARM. So anything that you can do today with ARM, you can do it with bicep, but in a much much nicer way, but also in a way that's way easier to adopt. So if you want to get started with infrastructure as code in Azure, don't do ARM because it's it's a pain. It's a major pain. Um, we've been there. It's no fun. Bicep is fun because it makes these deployments easy and I think or I hope that this is what will take more people to use infrastructure as code so they don't become six months from now Ben trying to find his own blog post. Okay. Rob, what do you have? I, I mean, I'd like to, to point out that once you've got a handle on how Bicep works, you can integrate it with Azure DevOps or any other deployment tooling, and you can deploy as many things as you want to keep them under source control, and that is a good thing. Okay, you also mentioned Bicep Playground. Is that somewhere people can go? Is that a hosted service you can go and check out Bicep? Absolutely. Uh, The easiest way to find it is to just type the words Bicep and Playground into your favorite search engine and go and grab them. And then you you just tell people on a technical podcast how to Google. I did. (laughs) Okay. And 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 you know what? I'm not judging. I'm just asking. Because it's easier than them remembering the name of of a of a thing that currently I can't remember as well. <laughs> well, I'm let glad me, you didn't tell them to Bing it. So uh, that's that's at least better. <laughs> the reason for using Bicep Playground is that it gives you access to the um, Bicep um, files for all of the um, Azure Git um, templates. And it enables you to put your own ARM template in and get a bicep template or file out. Okay, makes sense. And Ben, I think uh, you have somewhere you could direct people to go if they want to learn more about bicep. Oh, I do. Glad you're asked. I, I do have a pluralsight course on bicep where I'm basically all the stuff that we've talked about today, I'm walking through that in a little more granularity. So um, I'm actually building Bicep Faust there. I'm showing the extension. I'm showing how to deploy it and stuff. But it's it's like a 30-minute course. So if, if you're expecting a course that will show you for every single resource type that Azure has to offer how you can deploy it, um, you're in the wrong place. If you're like, hey, how do I do something? I want 
something, anything twice, or I want um, just to work with parameters and stuff, that's the kind of stuff that I'm doing there. So it, it's not the 10,000 meter view, but it's also not um, every single thing. I hope it's useful to um, those that try to get started with uh, Bicep, no matter if they've used ARM before or not. I like the fact that it's short because that makes sense. It just get get you enough to get started and then go build something on your own. Uh, if folks want to follow you or, or, or hear more from you, uh, where can they find you on the internet, Ben? Uh, best way to find me on the internet is either on Twitter, I'm B. Weissman, or on LinkedIn, where I'm Weissman Ben. All right. And Rob, same question to you. Uh, easiest way to find me is robsool.com or SQL DBA with beard on Twitter. I'm a heavy Twitter person. All right, sounds good. We will include links for all of that in the show notes. And thank you so much, Ben and Rob, for joining us on Day 2 Cloud. Please stay tuned for a tech bite from Singtel that's talking about how you can advance your cloud networking and improve your wide area network. Welcome to the Tech Bytes portion of our episode. We are in a six-part series with Singtel about cloud networking. That is, how to take your existing wide area network and make it communicate with cloud services in an effective way that maybe your legacy WAN isn't able to. Today, part five of six, we are chatting once again with Mark Seabrook, Global Solutions Manager at Singtel. Mark is going to share Singtel WAN offerings that can help make your legacy network cloud ready. This is the stuff that Singtel can give you that uh, that makes your network cloud ready. That's that's the big idea here, Mark. Uh, Mark, one of your key solutions, and we'd mentioned this in some of the earlier tech bites, but we, we need to review this. SD-WAN, what, why in your view is SD-WAN a critical network feature for accessing cloud? Yeah, hi guys. So I guess SD-WAN just gives that level of intelligence across the whole global network. So it allows you to uh, manage all of the amazing things you can do with overlays and what underlays it's running on. So before SD-WAN at a site level and at a, an orchestrator level, we just didn't have that, that control or that access and that uh, 10,000 foot overview from the customer's perspective. I, I like the way that you put it amazing, um, because that's, without being overly dramatic, that's sort of how I felt about SD-WAN. You know, if you're used to, as a network engineer, setting up routing protocols that route things in a particular way, you get into the SD-WAN world with overway, overlays, and now you can begin pushing traffic around the network kind of however you want in according with policy. You get into service chaining. There is truly what we would have said back in the day. You could kind of hack together a little bit with policy-based routing, but I mean, not end and it was always a point in time and managing it was awful. So SD-WAN does feel a, a bit amazing at times. But okay, Mark, but we do have to have a moment of, uh, of honesty here because I can buy my own SD-WAN. Uh, I could buy an SD-WAN capability from you folks at Singtel. So why SD-WAN from a service provider like Singtel instead of doing it by myself? A lot of customers um, start off with SD-WAN and it'll run great they'll do very well you know if it stays in one country if the total number of sites is fairly small once you get to global regional um, multiple multiple in the thousands of sites um, and literally thousands of tunnels and policies um, you really need some help uh, also from an orchestrator point of view you have to host that orchestrator somewhere so we can give you a managed 
orchestrator across the world, which is backed up. And we can also, you have a lot of models with customers where uh, we have the keys, they have the keys. So we can, we can change things, they can change things. If they need help, we can come in and um, fix stuff for them. Right, and to a certain degree, I think you're implying that design matters when you start hitting that number of sites. So I imagine that you also assist with the design and architecture components of SD-WAN? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of my favorite kind of models is what I call uh, design and construct. So we'll get a brief from the customer. We know the problem. We know what we've got to solve. But we'll, we'll do it in a, um, a sort of a step-by-step -step process. So we'll, we'll, we'll keep their existing network up. We'll build infrastructure underlay for the new network. We'll roll out sites. We'll, do, uh, we'll add regions or countries at a time. Uh, we'll do proof of concepts. Well, Mark, I know we're going to talk about design and construct services uh, in, the, in the final part of our series. But for this one, I want to understand more about the SD-WAN offering? What, what makes it up? Uh, what are the strategic advantages? I know you've mentioned along the way in this series that you have alliances with folks like Silverpeak and you mentioned Cisco Thousand Eyes along the way. So let, let's start at the beginning. If I'm getting SD-WAN from Singtel, what does that offering look like? What, it's, what, what am I buying here? Yeah, so we've, we've had a lot of success with uh, customers and we've put them on our, what we call our UCPE model, so our universal CPE. So we typically use uh, a Dell server and we'll load a number of images already on that Dell server. So for example, we're already put on Cisco Viptela, uh, VMware, VeloCloud, uh, Fortinet, HP, Aruba, Silverpeak. We'll put a thousand dies enterprise agent and a Cisco switch. So the reason we love doing the, the UCPE is that it doesn't, uh, lock a customer in with a certain flavor of SD-WAN, and it also disconnects the hardware from the software. So I basically, we're not locking a customer into a flavor of SD-WAN, and we're not locking a customer into the particular hardware that that SD-WAN manufacturer uses. So, th so this Dell server, you're saying universal CPE, customer premise equipment, the and it's it's preloaded with all of this stuff like Cisco Viptela, VMware VeloCloud, and depending on what you're looking at in the Fortinet catalog, um, you know something from Fortinet and something from Silverpeak. If we just take those, those are all SD WAN products with different uh, different models. SD WAN is not a standard; it's proprietary, and so you got to plumb all these up to like like. If you're going with Cisco Viptela, you're plumbing tunnels to other Cisco Viptela gear, etc. So your, your point is you ship this server and the customer is going to work with Singtel to figure out well, what should we be lighting up or may, or, or is it maybe they've got Viptela in-house already and you're going to interoperate with their existing Viptela? Um, kind of all of the, all of the above really. Um, most, most customers that were rolling out SD-WAN for, they've already settled on a, a flavor of SD-WAN. So for example, they might want to go with Silverpeak, um, mm -hmm. So we'll still we'll still put all those images on the UCPE, but we'll just use the Silver Peak image. Um, one of the other great things with the UCPE is that we can make use of all the redundant power supplies, the data center grade interfaces, especially at the hub level. We've got a lot of like 10G base LR interfaces. Um, 
Now, Thousand Eyes is kind of a separate piece of software on there, but you can use that. I'm assuming you're using that for network monitoring so you can see what's going on end to end. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, one of the one of the great things about putting the the Thousand Eyes Enterprise Agent on the UCPE is that you've got it everywhere. You've got it at every single site, i.e. an enterprise agent, and you've got it at all of your uh, hub data centers. A lot of people that uh, overlook it, um, you need somewhere to host it. And if the customer has to host it on some spare, you know, server or mini PC, it can get a bit messy. I love having it on a UCPE so that it's everywhere and we can see it and we can control it. Ah, okay. So you kind of led into my next question, which was you shipped me this UCPE, this Dell box with all the software preloaded. And then what happens? It sounds like Singtel is managing this box for me. Yeah, we'll, we'll set it up initially. So, you know, we'll work with the customer. We'll set up each site um, with various, you know, bios and, and rules, et cetera, what they want to do. Uh, bios, business intent overlays. Um, and when we we monitor it, so we'll we'll set up a particular region. We might set up a few test sites, and we'll we'll test it for a few months, and then we'll you know make adjustments, and then roll it out across that that country, and then we might come up with a standard in that country, and then roll that out globally. Okay, and you said Dell Box, but in reality, are you usually shipping like two for high availability and and failover purposes? Yeah, absolutely. Most of the sites we're going to have two SD-WAN boxes running together in a high availability uh, setup. And then at the hub sites, um, we're basically going to have what we like. To, so at the hub sites, what we like to do is have a, a, a stack of 9K switches, have all the underlays coming into the data centers. We'll then set up a VLAN fabric in those 9K switches, feed that off to uh, the UCPE in the data center. Now in the data centers, we'll typically have anywhere up to seven or eight stacked uh, all running together. Um, so we've got a lot, a lot of foul over, a lot of redundancy. And then on the back end of those SD-WAN instances, another set of 9K switches that handles all the foul over. So you just said a lot there. You're saying 9K switches. I assume you mean Cisco Nexus 9K or something else? Uh, Nexus 9K. So yeah, we created a, a VLAN fabric. So we're bringing in all these different underlays that come from all the different uh, providers. A lot of customers will set up uh, in each region or each country, we'll set up two Equinix data centers. We'll have those 9Ks, all those stacks of, of uh, SD-WANs, running in two different Equinixes. We'll put a 10 gig ring around those two data centers and then feed those two data centers also back to like a private data center that the customer might have. So we've got like a kind of a, a regional hub within each territory, and then we'll link them globally via point to points, large MPLS, et cetera. Okay, this is a very grown up setup. That, that That's what I'm hearing here. This is not, well, we had this one line and we lit it up and put some VLANs on it and it was great. This is like robust capacity, uh, robust amount of bandwidth and redundancy built in. Because you, you said redundancy, but I mean, capacity is another piece of this. You can push a lot of packets through this setup. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I think that's a, a little trap that a lot of uh, people going to SD-WAN fall into initially where they might move away from an MPLS network. They'll go to a, a DIA because it's cheaper. Sure, they'll get more bandwidth, but by the time they start, you know, multiplying and multiplying tunnels on tunnels and making things more complicated, they suddenly find out that they might be in a, a worse situation than when they had the uh, the MPLS. So yeah, you've really got to underlay. I like to think of underlay as the you know the foundations to a building or a house. If you don't get that right, everything else is going to look uh, pretty wonky. <laughs> so how big are the links here? You were describing a ring connecting the hub sites through the 9K stacks. Um, what kind of capacity are we talking about between the hubs? So typically these days, um, we're not really seeing anything less than 10 gigs. So we're seeing 10 or 100 gig standards. So that can be either a, a, some customers like a pure wave handoff between points. Some people want a layer two ethernet handoff. Um, we've even done uh, connectivity through our SD Connect. So that's our cloud product, but we can tweak it to do DC to DC rather than DC to cloud. Okay, Mark. So with Singtel, we've built a robust ring topology, 10 or 100 gig links in between sites and so on. And it kind of feels like we've built our own private network to really, because effectively that we have, uh, but we've got the SD-WAN overlay Okay, one of the things I can do with SD-WAN overlay is break out the things like Zscaler. I know that's a pretty common feature. Even though I built this whole like internal ring and stuff between my hub sites, can I still break out to Zscaler and use some of those fancy value add services? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's one of the beauties of, of SD-WAN at the site level. So first packet inspection, um, depending on what the client's rules are, um, we'll break out that traffic directly to the cloud, to AWS, to Google, and we'll point it through a Zscaler node for the protection. Um, other instances, for example, in China, um, the local internet, the cloud um, traffic will be broken out to a local Chinese um, cloud target. The intranet WAN, that'll, that'll hop on a WAN underlay and maybe go to somewhere like Hong Kong or somewhere else. Excellent. That, that's, that's what I anticipated that you were going to say, Mark. But uh, as, the, as, the, as the solution gets complex, all of a sudden the brain goes, oh, how do I do this? Oh, how do I do that? And, uh, and, and long story short is you folks, that you've thought about that and that's all fine. Uh, and so you have maximum flexibility despite having built a very fast and robust architecture. Well, Mark, uh, thank you for joining us once again. And uh, if you've made it to the end of the Tech Byte, hey, thanks to you for listening, you awesome human. This was part five of a six-part series. So we are going to hear more on building cloud-ready networks with Singtel in an upcoming episode. Part six, our final entry in this Tech Byte series is going to be in a couple of weeks, and we will be reviewing underlay network architecture for a cloud-ready wide area network. The circuits that you need to have between global regions and the management required to make the most of them. Thank you to our guests for appearing on Day 2 Cloud, and thanks to Singtel for the sponsored Tech Byte and... 
Thanks to you, dear listener, for tuning in. If you have suggestions for future shows, we would love to hear them. You can hit either of us up on Twitter at Day2CloudShow or fill out the form of my fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. If you like engineering-oriented shows like this one, visit packetpushers.net slash subscribe. All of our podcasts, newsletters, and websites are there. It's all nerdy content designed for your professional career development. Until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>